Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Are you a fan of Pi? Where there is Pi at permies.com. This Pi grants the user of secret access. You also get free things like videos of Wheaton Labs, the ability to add two thumbs up, two posts, and more. To get Pi, go to permies.com forward slash Pi to get the inside scoop of what Pi can do for you. Again, that is permies.com forward slash Pi. Hi, pod people. This is Paul Wheaton. Um, I am doing a thing that I rarely ever do, and that is that I've turned on a microphone and I'm talking to myself and to you. Um, this podcast is going to feature a bunch of audio clips from when we had uh, an expert timber framer come by to look at the uh, Wafati greenhouse and give his um, uh, thoughts. Uh, and so more about that in a moment. But I, it's been a while since I've recorded a podcast, so I've got like a, a bunch of bits and bobs to kind of try to squeeze in to get you all caught up. Uh, so much is happening at once right now. We've got a Kickstarter that starts uh, tomorrow as I record this. So when you hear it, the Kickstarter will be well underway. This Kickstarter is going to be a short one. So if you're hearing this, it's possible that the Kickstarter might only have a couple of days left. So um, you might want to look into that, huh? Uh, it'll be uh, about our uh, Rocket Mass Heater Jamboree event. We recorded it. We're going to make a, a movie, and there's uh, uh, 10 hours of footage from it. Um, <clears throat> uh, if you support the Kickstarter, then the product exists. And if we don't get enough support for the Kickstarter, then the product doesn't exist. I hope you guys will go check out the Kickstarter. Um, and also, this is a, a big way that we we make change, and uh, uh, this is how we convey knowledge to people. So people check out the Kickstarter, they learn a little bit about rocket mass heaters and about how they're carbon negative or carbon neutral, depending on who you talk to, uh, solving a lot of other uh, global problems, and of course, basically heating your house for free with just, you know, yard waste. Um, <clears throat> so really want to make a big push for this and, and at least get the knowledge of rocket mass heaters into people's heads. Uh, uh, another thing is is that uh, we've been telling people on the dailyish about this uh, for a couple of weeks now, uh, maybe even longer than that, as we originally kind of got the idea like, hey, would you guys want this? Um, so for those pod people that are not on the dailyish, I'd like to encourage you to get on it. Lots of bonus goodies. Uh, and then also we've had uh, somebody who, uh, we call him the benefactor, who has... Um, uh, basically augmented some things, uh, so like made stuff crazy freaky cheap for, for people on the dailyish. So it might be worth, you know, checking out the dailyish. Um, and then a quick note, summer events are coming up. The PDC, uh, we've sold a fair bit of tickets to that PDJ. I wish we could sell like, uh, 12 more tickets to the PDJ. Uh, and the skip event still has some openings. Um, uh, I, I wish that I would offer these events and they would fill up in 24 hours. I guess we're just not there yet. Um, and, uh, you know, it leads to like, I wish a lot of things. I wish you know, more people, I wish that, that the, the, the better world book was in a thousand times more hands than it is. And, um, that's another topic for another day. 
Uh, we now have an October Rocket Mass Heater Workshop this year. We were going to not do an event, but uh, we've got somebody here at Wheaton Labs who's, like, very, very keen on it and wants to make sure it happens. And so he's putting the work in to make sure it happens. So we will definitely have a Rocket Mass Heater Workshop this October 2022. Um, I'm also talking to Helen about a Garden Master course. Um, more details on that soon. So we'll have another one. The last one went over great, um, and so we're going to do it again. Uh, the skip book arrived, so 10,200 physical books arrived, and they are currently being shipped out to all the people that supported the Kickstarter. Uh, hopefully, that will get wrapped up in a couple of days. Then we will send out pre-orders, and then we'll be selling it like no- a normal book um, after that. So uh, soon, the skip book goes on sale for normal folk. Um Permaculture Boot Camp. Uh, this is like the most important thing, but currently the BRK for the Permaculture Boot Camp is now at $4,000. And on top of that, there is a huge subsidy for Boots doing video editing for my YouTube channel. Uh, I think a boot can get anywhere from $300 to $500 per video. Um, if you can edit up a video, I would, I know I used to, for my YouTube channel, it used to take me about 45 minutes to edit up a video. And I would do like five at a time in like three or four hours. So I don't know if somebody got to the point that they could do that, like in, like they could do five videos in four hours, then, um, that would be like, I don't know, 1500 to $2,000. Um, <clears throat> just huge coin for people to be in the boot camp and and I always kind of thought that the boot camp would be most made mostly out of pod people um all right uh the other thing is is that we've just started something we call the thistle program and this is for people under the age of 18 to be able to be into the in the boot camp uh with their parents and so I don't know uh, maybe maybe a parental unit wants to bring their kid in and and be part of the boot camp for a week or two. It could all be worked out. Uh, but check out the Thistle program on Permies. Uh, we have two new booths starting on Sunday, which I guess by the time most of you hear this, those of you that are like uh, on the um, uh, Patreon stuff, then of course you'll be hearing this before they arrive. Anyway, all right. We got two new booths starting on Sunday. Uh, would love to get more booths in the, in the boot camp program. My my global strategy for the boot camp program is that someday one of my things will go viral and take all the rest of my stuff with it. And so this is, since I suck at marketing and I suck at uh, how to reach a billion people and things like that, um, my best guess to just keep... I guess my general approach is kind of like the whole thing of a thousand monkeys with typewriters eventually create the the complete works of William Shakespeare. And so I'm doing the thousand monkeys approach. I just try, 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 try things over and over and over again. And um, uh, I think right now my best strategy is is that with the boot camp, we keep making things that could go viral. And so the more people there are in the boot camp, the more we make things. And then plus, it's there's a, there's a long list of reasons. But for all of my global stuff, the key is we need more people in the in the boot camp. 
And, um, and, and granted, I think another important thing is, is that I've always said that for our long-term community needs, for every 20 people that come here, uh, and want to be part of our community, night, for 19 of them, it won't work out. So, we need kind of like hundreds of people to come here so eventually we can get to the point where we've uh, got a community of a good 20 people or more in the boot camp. Um, and by the way, today as I'm recording this, uh, Magdalene hit her one-year mark um, uh, here pretty soon. Uh, in a few months, Des will hit his two-year mark and then he will um, uh, move on to his acre, which he's already selected. And then Magdalene will become the high commander of the boot camp. Um, so uh, come on into the boot camp and get your acre. I mean, you know, har- harvest the BRK coin and the video editing coin and then also, um, uh, you know, get that acre. Uh, also, there's a, a BRK thing that if you put 700 posts in the BRK, you get $10,000. And Des is just a few days away from that. Um Next up, uh, let's see. Oh, if we have more boots in the boot camp, that's more people to record podcasts with. <laughs> and, uh, and there's more to report in the podcasts. So also, uh, tie into the separate program. The separate program is where we run out our structure, our structures to people. We have two seppers right now. Um, and so then the, the seppers can be in or out of the boot camp as much or as little as they like. And, uh, and so they rent something here. And then um, uh, they can join the boot camp for half a day or a day or not at all, uh, whatever is their comfort zone for being in the boot camp. So uh, that's a, you know, that might be worth looking into. Um, I always kind of thought we would have lots and lots of pod people here all the time. Um, so you're the pod people. Um, uh, maybe it's because I haven't talked about the separate program enough or haven't uh, kind of put it out there that the boot camp could be for just one week or two weeks if, if that's all that you can take time away for. Um, but I think it's good to, you know, if you've got experience and knowledge about um, building things or about um, plumbing or like we had a guy come once who was a plumber and he's like show me where it hurts and and uh so that it it adds to the collective knowledge of the boot camp okay other quick news uh we made a movie that's the tour of wheaton labs and i think it turned out really great uh it's available for sale now uh go get it um we also made we we did something as part of a, a kickstarter that we were going to make this microdoc about the berm shed and it turned into a full movie. So now we've got this, the berm shed movie is now available for sale. Um, I think, I think both of those turned out great. Uh, and I understand that they are going to be actually available as DVD possibly by the time any of you hear this. Uh, I'll be speaking in Texas this week. Uh, by the time you hear this, I might already be there. Um, Oh, and I got to say, if there was more support for the Patreon, the podcasts would be a higher priority because so much of everything that we do is about like getting operating capital for all the things. Uh, although at the same time, the benefactor has provided us with more electric bicycles here and stuff like that. Um, and so uh, we're, you know, our our financial needs are, are being met. 
Um, and maybe I should ask him if, if he's a pod person. Maybe he is. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the thing is, is that, you know, please put a little extra coin into the Patreon and I'll see if we can jiggle things around. Um, <laughs> I've had three or four people ask me to do a podcast on a particular topic about a movie that came out recently. I feel like that's probably not a good idea. And, but maybe it'll be another one of those podcasts that I do for 25 bucks. So I've got like, I think five podcasts where, um, it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> if you're going to hate me, I want 25 bucks from you first. <laughs> and so, uh, like there's one about politics and it's, and it's like, uh, I don't know. I think, I think 10 people or 20 people have actually paid the $25, like <laughs> it's your money. So maybe, maybe that's how we ought to do that. Um, because the particular movie is a little bit political. Um, and uh, I kind of feel like uh, I have some strong opinions about it, but I also feel like uh, I'd much rather talk about permaculture, building building a better world than complaining about, you know, how uh, pe- other people are kind of behaving poorly, <clears throat> in my opinion. Uh, all right. So this podcast is because about uh, it's about the greenhouse movie. So the greenhouse movie um, was going to be in three parts: part one, the design; part two, the build, which is now released; and part three is the results. And so this is about like, okay, it was a truly passive greenhouse. How did we do? You're about to hear the results. Um, so we recorded this stuff last week and it's like, we, but we got to keep the whole thing at about eight minutes for what goes into the movie. And so, um, uh, the Bernal brothers are doing the editing on this part and they said, you know, there's a lot of extra stuff here. Maybe it could go into a podcast. And it's like, oh, yeah, we haven't done one of those in a while. That'd be cool. Let's do that. So they have cobbled together all the bits and bobs of all the audio that we recorded to do the summary. And so you'll be hearing the full detailed summary. Um, let's see. This is uh, me. Uh, I think a little bit of it is going to be... Uh, uh, me just kind of doing my summary of the project, like how did the temperatures do, how did the build turn out, um, things of that nature. For those of you that have seen, we've got this thing uh, that's a free video on YouTube called the Turbo Tour. It's 65 things in nine minutes, and you can kind of see the greenhouse just real quick. Uh, I think it's beautiful. It's working great. Um, everything about it is just, I mean, this is a, this is a powerful success. Um, I'm visiting with Caleb Larson. He is a Montana timber framer. I have a few podcasts with him from many years ago, like maybe 10 years ago. He is a very, very busy guy. I feel like we are very fortunate to be able to get him for a few minutes to come up and take a look at the greenhouse. He also watched all of the design and build movies. The version he got was a bigger version, which, by the way, I want to say that um, uh, we, for part two, uh, there was a certain point in time where uh, as... Josiah was doing the editing. He's like, okay, I've got this version that's four hours and 20 minutes. And I said, we got to get the build down to like an hour and 40 minutes tops. 
and um and he's like well what do i cut this stuff is like there's so much in this four hour version and um so i said okay set a copy of that aside and and uh i have an idea and so then we edited 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 trim 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 we got it down to a version that's an hour and 20 minutes but a lot of good stuff got cut so there's a version of the build that's a four-hour version, which which I've now put up, and I've set it up so that Josiah is the seller. So like, if you like the the build, which is I think beautiful, it's it, and it's uh, if you like it, then um, definitely uh, uh, go check out the four-hour build and and maybe buy it, and then Josiah gets a little coin in his pocket. Um, so, uh, but so far we, we put it out a couple of days ago. I told everybody on the dailyish, the weeklyish, and the monthlyish, and nobody has bought it. And so I'm a little bummed that we went to all this trouble to save it and provide it. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking like uh, it's it's pretty cool. Um, my my error, I guess. I kind of thought it would be great to get Josiah started on a passive income kind of a thing and all right anyway um all right i gotta say about the greenhouse build um uh so i i I know that like when i'm talking to caleb i'm not sure it got recorded or not but we talked a bit about what i call all wood and that's where you do your joinery in such a way that you don't need any metal spikes. So there's there's a few. Um, we we've got a we took some rebar. We sharpened up one end and we would pound it in to kind of uh, uh, you know pin things a little bit. Uh, all of our all of our rebar pins are vertical, and um, um, there's not a huge amount of them. There's a few, and we don't have a lot of metal overall. There's very little metal in this entire structure. But I, I kind of, I, I talked to Caleb about all wood, and there is something magical when you do all wood. Uh, it's you just feel like I don't know, super. So in a while, uh, we, we kind of came up with this thing, and he, he started calling it like all wood Valhalla, and so like. It's like if you do Allwood, then someday when you die, you get to go to Allwood Valhalla. Um, and, and he's like, now I really want to go. <laughs> but, um, in his work as a professional, um, he's like, I, a lot of the stuff that he works on, he needs to please the engineers who are going to sign off on it. And he says, for our stuff, we end up using a lot of all thread. Uh, which is basically like you get this three foot long stick of steel. It could be like one inch steel. Um, and it's, it's threaded the whole way. And then you kind of cut off however much you need. And then so it's basically like you have this giant bolt with nuts on either end, um, pinning things together. And that's what gets the engineers to sign off on stuff. Um, on the other hand, you can do things in an all-wood way, and you might not be able to get the engineers to sign off on it, but you do get to go to all-wood Valhalla. <laughs> and so there is a powerful satisfaction at putting things together in such a way that it's it's pure all-wood. But 
the the thing that so he and I talk about it a bit. Hopefully it's recorded. I can't remember. Um, Allwood generally takes about three times longer, although it is ten times more satisfying. So if you're going to build something like this and you're seeking satisfaction, oh yes, by all means get Allwood. I think that the greenhouse is a great example of roundwood timber framing. It does have some metal in it. And so because of that, the build goes three times faster. Um, and I, I kind of feel like, um, the greenhouse build, the way that we did the roundwood timber framing is our best example of roundwood timber framing at this time. And I kind of feel like this is the way most of us will do it. If, if we're going to do, um, uh, use a lot of our, um, forest, you know, a lot of our logs, a lot of our timber that we have available to us. And then we drop it, we peel it, and then we make something out of it. The thing that's in this movie is probably the way most of us are going to do it. And the feedback from Caleb was so positive, um, I, I kind of feel a little bit like, wow, we have, we have reached our pinnacle. We're doing it now. Um, and, uh, the only way to do better would be to transition into a space of all wood, um, which I don't think we're ready for. I think that that's another three levels up from what we're doing right now. Um, and so Caleb has a lot of experience doing all wood and he basically does what we're doing as you're about to find out. Um, uh, I asked him later, I think after, and again, we weren't recording, um, like if you were to build this whole thing um, the way that it is built with the joinery that we used versus the way you would do it. And it sounds like the total build, because he's come up with some techniques that he does that go faster for him because, you know, he's optimized his process. So between doing the exact joinery in our movie versus him picking out whichever joinery he wants and doing it his way, that the whole build may have gone for him 10% faster. Um, and I understand it's like there's, you made some points about like, if you're going to have, if you're going to put a log on top of a post, he would have gone and like the log is passing over the post. So there's no joinery happening other than the horizontal log sitting on a vertical post. He went with, he felt like saddle all the way. Go with the saddle joint. Um, whereas we went with, with some other stuff. But if there's going to be two logs coming to that post, um, that then it gets interesting. And later I went and showed him the, um, the berm shed. And now keep in mind, not only do we have a berm shed movie, but the berm shed movie has a lot of animations from the Bernal brothers in it to help demonstrate different joinery work. Um, and in the, um, uh, uh, in the berm shed, the kind of joinery that we have where I call it a shoulder so that basically we can facilitate two butted logs coming together over a post. We put a horizontal 
uh, short log, like maybe a foot and a half long on top of that. And I call that a shoulder joint, which um, I think a lot of other timber framers might object to. But, you know, moving on. Um, and uh, uh, we definitely weren't recording this moment. And Caleb said this is like very common in Asia and, and the timber framing in Asia and how they, and they, they use a lot of this. And I said, um, our engineer uh, came up with a different technique, uh, which I think is brilliant, and that is to have the two logs, rather than butting into each other, that they would um, uh, be sitting, there'd be an, uh, another log holding the angle, and the, and the two logs that would, would basically go past each other without any joinery work whatsoever, and they would just be neighbors. It doesn't kind of go through a podcast very well, but... Um, the the key is is that he agreed that that would be uh, simpler, stronger, faster, easier, etc. Um, and you know than what we had there. So, but he felt what we had there in the berm shed right now, which is in the berm shed movie, that he felt that that was damn good joinery, and and he could see doing it exactly that way as well. Although the thing I suggest that came from it was actually a suggestion from our engineer that uh, where the two logs kind of go past each other a bit, he felt like that would be a little less handsome, but a little bit faster to build and um, possibly a little stronger. And so, all right, there you go. Um, this is this is the audio that'll be for part three of the movie. It's possible that by the time you all hear this, the final movie will be out for the um, uh, uh, devious experiments with truly passive greenhouse. And so um, uh, the big thing is everything worked. The the joinery was great. The the roundwood timber framing was great. And the experiments with the temperature were all great. Um, all right, here we go. First, we never had a freeze in the greenhouse all winter. And at one point, the temperature did drop to 12 degrees below zero Fahrenheit. Success! <laughs> but it gets better. Much better. When construction was wrapping up, Josiah pops tracking thermometers down both of the thermal wells. Both held a rock-solid temperature of 46.2 degrees Fahrenheit. We drop the destratification pipes in, and no change. When the sun was shining on the pipes, the air didn't seem to move. On August 27th, we added reflectors on most of the pipe exposed to the sun. We then saw the west well rise to 48.5 degrees Fahrenheit, while the east well rose to 48.0 degrees Fahrenheit. The west well is using one-inch destratification pipe, and the east well is using 1.5-inch. It sounds like the one-inch pipe is the winner. We then added more reflectors and some insulation to the east well pipe, and it quickly caught up. Sort of. The east well rose to 48.1 degrees Fahrenheit, while the west well dropped to 48.2 degrees Fahrenheit in mid-February. 
I think this is the effect of all that cold accumulating. We then improved the reflectors and insulation for both wells, and both wells are still dropping a little. The east well is now at 47.5 degrees Fahrenheit, and the west well is at 47.7 degrees Fahrenheit. So they are still much higher than where we started in July of 46.2. During a sunny day, the temperature in the greenhouse rises, and that warm air is slowly pulled down into the thermal wells. At night, if the greenhouse temperature drops below the temperature at the bottom of the wells, the colder air falls to the bottom of the wells, forcing the warmer air up. Let's look at the temperature of the mass on the back wall. It started at 64.9 degrees in August. I would think that mass would be much warmer two or three years in. The mass cools slowly to 41.7 on March 14th. And it has been slowly warming ever since. Overall, the cold does slowly penetrate. But the combination of heat from the summer plus the power of the destratification pipes wins the day. Further, I suspect that each year this whole system will get warmer and warmer. My guess is that next winter the greenhouse will be about 5 degrees warmer than last winter. All of this data adds up to... I think we have a strong success. One last interesting bit. The tracking thermometers also track the relative humidity. There were several times when the humidity was pegged at 100% or just very high. So the thermal wells also act as dehumidifiers. Congratulations to Josiah and the Permaculture Boot Camp for this big win. The people in the Permaculture Boot Camp come to experience gardening, natural building, and a lot of other things. Which is why I have a rule that nobody works on any one project more than four hours a day. Compounding that with a lot of other bits and bobs, this meant that this project got worked on for about three half days each week. And that's just when the weather and other happenings allowed it. Josiah learned roundwood timber framing at our events and in the permaculture boot camp. He'd been here for about nine months when we came up with this project. I added a lot of experiments to the idea, which will make it take longer. In the end, I think he did a damn good job. This is Caleb Larson. Timber Framer. How long have you been doing the timber framing thing? Since 2005. Full time. 17 years. 17 years full time timber framer. Yep. Man, that's impressive. Now, I remember there was once a day where you told me that you listened to all of my podcasts twice and all the ones with Helen Atal four times. It's probably true. I'm behind now. Yeah. Being honest. <laughs> no, no. Understood. Understood. Yeah, in fact, I was on a few of them there. Oh, yeah. It's been a while since in I've fact, been on one. 
In fact, uh, you uh, did a podcast with me to talk about Ben Law's movie, Roundwood Timberframe. Oh, we did. That's right. Yeah, I've been exchanging emails with Ben today. Really? He's gonna. He's, he looked at the video. He's gonna make little comments like uh, along the way. Oh, if you want to do that, you let me know. We'll, okay. we'll, we'll get it worked out. Cool. cool. So, um, let me tell you how this thing exists. Um, we uh, have done roundwood timber framing. I mean, you've been by here several times to help us in some of our earliest stuff with roundwood timber framing. In fact, um, Allerton Abbey, just over the thing here, is now eight and a half years old. Yeah, 2013, right? And you were here during the first couple of weeks. Yeah. And and you were teaching folk how to make you know good joinery for this kind of structure, um, considering the skill level of of our crew. Yeah. Which some had more skill than others. <laughs> and, and so... Uh, Which is always fun. Yeah. Teach people how to read fractions on a tape measure. <laughs> That's always interesting. <laughs> so, uh, years have passed. We've built some more structures. Oh, we did a lot with the burn shed. Um, a lot of roundwood timber framing in that. And then this is our, our latest thing. So basically, it's our collective knowledge accumulating over the years. We're getting better and better and better at this. But I suspect it's still not to your skill level. And, um, I mean, for example, when we are doing this, we're still using metal. We're still getting, um, we're putting metal pins in right. that we're getting from rebar. Yep. And it's like, let's just be safe. Let's just do that. And it's like, I can think of some joinery where we wouldn't need it. Or where if we really wanted to, we could get like a one-inch wooden dowel and shove that in there and be like, good enough! Yeah, the joinery has its place, but the steel is fast and it works. <laughs> I'm not quite as much of a purist on the all-wooden joinery as I used to be. After years of running a business, there's times where a screw and a lag bolt or a rebar and a pin, we don't get to use just rebar that much, but uh, a lot of all-thread and things. The engineers like that. Okay. All right. So I think you're right on a, a mortise and tenon joint in roundwood is very difficult. I've done a bunch of them for fun. I've never had anybody who wanted to pay me enough time that it would take to actually do it. So I kind of feel like there is like a, a, if you do it without any metal, pure joinery, all wood, there is this sensation. I'm going to heaven <laughs> because of this. Special craftsman Valhalla or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 I, I, if my peers would ever come by, they would admire what I have done. The bastards won't come by, though. <laughs> so I think, I kind of feel like where we're at with the boot camp is... You do this kind of joinery, and then um, with the, the the spikes, yep. kind of pin it together well, yep. so it'll it'll hold still. I think I I kind of feel like uh, someday it would be nice to ascend three more levels to all wood, but for now this is probably as good structurally. Yeah. It's just that there's this tiny sliver of shame in having there be a little bit of metal. Yeah, and the mortise and tenon joinery isn't always stronger. A lot of times you're taking more.
more wood out. Because if you got to do a tenon in a mortise, that means you're cutting a big hole in one, in one piece. So if it's over a column or a post, it's not a big deal because you'll have all the bearing. I want to. I can see a, 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 cut, a type of joinery here. It isn't as handsome, but I want you to look at it and tell me what you think. This right here. And so the, the thing is, is that if it wasn't for this, like if this, if this bit of wood here was was not there, I'd be worried that the, uh, uh, a split would happen and this piece of wood would break off. I'd be worried about that. And I've seen it happen a couple of times. And so I always insist on these shoulders now. I don't know if you ever do any of that. I would be curious to see where you, what you saw, where you saw it split. Whether it was just a check or whether yeah, it was... Sometimes they're checks. Because if you think about it, I heard you guys talking about it in the video, too, not wanting to compromise the bottom. But if you really think about the cross-section, that... I mean, you're the equivalent of what? Like a one by three? You know, you're not really taking that much but, pressure, but it does create a pressure point there. It is possible. The other thing is, is that if you can keep the round wood round, it's two and a half times stronger than, to, than the equivalent in dimensional lumber. And so I kind of feel like it's the rounditude that helps with that. There's Where do you get the two and a half times? Is that from, from the engineer that was from the thing? I saw you guys had an engineer, which I thought was excellent to get somebody else's sure. points. I I would have to say that uh, it was not from there. It was um, I've i picked it up in like a couple of different spots. That generally round wood is two and a half times stronger than dimensional lumber. So I've been echoing it for okay. years now. And it has because it's do dimensional based on what too. You know what I mean? Is oh, it yeah. the six by six that would be living inside of here? Then I, I would say yeah, maybe two and a half times. I always kind of like okay, let's see, it's got a two by four on its edge yep. like this. And so it's really three and a half inches across here. And then you got a round stick that's just three and a half inches in diameter. Okay. And so basically... So compared to that. Yes. Compared to what that's you could get out of it of a dimensional lumber two and a half. Something like that. That's my memory. And it has to do with the fact that the fact that it's round yeah. is, is where that strength comes from. And it's kind of like, um, okay, I can, I can groove on that. Plus, I mean, part of it too is, is like... All wood has a little bit of a twist in it. I mean, you can yeah, see some more than other. going on here. I don't see any real bad spiral. That one doesn't things. have a big spiral in it, but you can kind of see a little bit of a spiral here. Yeah. There's a little bit of a spiral. More spiral in that stick over there. So the thing is, is that if you've got dimensional lumber and it's got a spiral going through it, right. it's kind of like you should have severed never severed those yeah. grains in a bunch of spots. And so because you've severed those grains in a bunch of spots, the whole thing is weak. Yeah. And I, I would argue that that's a piece that should never be used. So, I, you know, Fair. there's certain Fair. places where the quality matters more almost than the joinery, if that makes sense. You put a bad piece of wood in with the perfect joinery, it's more likely to fail than a good piece of wood with poor joinery. <laughs> there's one down there that's got a little bit of spiral. And even that's not that yeah. bad. You guys don't get as bad of wind events as some places, so... Yeah, quite as much See, nice, nice solid wood. The quality of the wood is always paramount. Honestly, most things that I do, 
are so oversized for the aesthetics that we're well beyond where you ever need to be for like a center span load. We're always so much bigger right. than it really needs to be, more for the aesthetic. I think that this center, this this stick here is far bigger than it needs to be. Except that you're piling earth on top. So well, the that earth is right it. here, about four inches of earth. So not too much. Get back here, maybe it's eight inches. So you get back over here, it, it could be 18 inches on that back wall. Okay. But you know that's a bigger stick. Maybe not. Maybe it's really not the same. Anyway, proportionally that looks really nice too. This joint right here, you're saying you wouldn't do it. it doesn't bother you. Um, not worth the effort. There, but we would run this along here and follow the bubble. This comes around. Now you got this perfect right here, and then you cut that down. Rather than doing any of this notch, and then it's captured inside here. So laterally you've got pieces. It can't come up over the lips. And you got a big U-shape here, and it sits down. And so we don't even usually take anything out. So you're just taking. Portion. You're going to keep this long hole, and you're going to put a saddle notch in that post. So. Yeah. Now the one drawback to that, if it's under a roof, not really a big deal. And to be honest, you have it here too. Is that you're you are creating a portion that can have water sit in it. Right. So that joint somewhere where it can get wet. You are, the water's gonna run in there. The other thing That's is. That's the only place I really see it. Is that if you've got a saddle like this, you've got this log here, this, well, here's my saddle post, and here's my log. Yep. Then it's got the ability to do a little bit of this, unless, of course, you put the spike in it. it. Yeah. And, and so, um, it seems like a lot of the stuff that we're doing, we're trying to keep it so that it can't slide around, or. The other one is is that now of course in a saddle it isn't going to be able to roll, yep. so it's going to hold in that spot really well. But sometimes when we're putting stuff, you know, on a on a place and it's like it might be thinking about rolling, then you know, flat on flat really kind of helps prevent the rolling. Yeah, once they're in there, I mean these logs are pretty round. A lot of stuff you end up with such irregularities that it can't roll because of this scribed shape. I mean, it fits perfectly. That's true. When you're done. That's so true. if you have, a, say, an a oval-shaped log, it can't twist because it's getting wider. Um, so we'll Good do a point. series of mechanical fasteners, too, not just necessarily the spike. Um, I'll draw you out one of the other things that we do, but we use a lot of times an actual... It's a flat paddle that we actually plunge cut into the post. And then we'll put a flat paddle in here, drill holes, and it gets two steel pins mm -hmm. here. Then the all thread sticks out the top, and it gets a nut and washer, and it's bolted down and pulls it. Okay. Now that cannot move. That's now, the thing that the engineers love that. We do a lot of those. The engineers love that because the wind can come from over here and try and blow your roof off. Yeah. And now your roof is kind of basically bolted to this post, which is bolted to something else. Did you see our stuff about how we do the posts? The bottoms? Yeah. Yeah. Stuff in the bottom. I like it. Yeah. Okay, good. I, I, do they seem like they're being pretty pretty stable now? Oh, yeah. Too? Yeah. But definitely the setting them down there, a good base, and packing that in with the track hoe is huge. Yeah. And especially after seeing yeah. where other posts have settled. I can see where that is, is critical. As soon as I saw that in the video, I was like, that's a great idea. Yeah. Because that's Thank always you. been one of my one of my concerns. 
Yeah, I like the six by six with the chain, and you just kind of pick it up, yep, and back it down in there. A smaller stick, because now it's going to really pack yeah. in a smaller footprint. Yeah, and then we come back when we put the final post in, and give that a little pack down too. <clears throat> right. So, we don't want anything to settle. So right. We want it to be pretty locked down where it is. The other thing that I would argue for potentially cutting a saddle notch like this, or things afterwards, I guess you guys were putting them in, kind of. You could pack them down a little more, and then they were getting cut in place, it looked like, for everything. I think getting cut in place was very often. I think they were getting cut out here, and then uh, flipped upside down, and then dropped. Okay. But um, let me ask you something else. Look at yep. this stuff here. This is just a bunch of roundwood. And um, they went ahead and uh, put put a couple of screws in for these once in a while. Every right? five pieces, he said in the video. Well, what he did was is he put a regular deck screw. Like, like what he did is he countersunk them like two or three inches. So that way, an inch and a half, it was a three-inch deck screw. So there's an inch and a half in that stick, and there's an inch and a half in this stick in the end. And then every fifth one, he put a timber lock in. Okay. And I kind of thought, I think I might have just gone with the, the deck screw every fifth one. Because really, this is gravity. Glue. Right. Gravity's are, got a powerful glue thing going on. It does. Pinning this wood down. The one thing you do get, though, by pinning them all down is you do get some, some, some strength from keeping it from shifting side to side, you know, too, eventually. The only thing I would say that inch and a half embed probably isn't enough, especially with the timber screws. We go, we shoot for three inches. So three inches is usually our engineered minimum. We've got for each one of these sticks, we've got an inch and a half on this side, inch and a half on that side, and then every fifth one has an additional timber lock. Okay. And how far did those embed? I think our timber locks are um, good eight inches. Okay. So they're getting quite a bit more in there. Oh, yeah. And the other one that's keeping it in place. Four or... Yeah, I mean, this roof isn't going to blow off. <laughs> Wait on it. That's not your worry. When and, we build pavilions think, out in the middle of a field, we think, worry about the roof blowing off. But I think this stuff looks plenty strong to hold the soil load plus any kind of soil load that we might possibly get. I mean, I, as was said in the movie, it's over-engineered, but... Those guys aren't engineers, and so it's like, but I can't really say. But I, I do think though that uh, that we're doing above and beyond. We're 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 in good shape here. Hey, this is T. Blankenship. Have you seen the new video of Wheaton Labs? It is permaculture awesomeness with all new and improved things like more rocket mass heaters, easy bake coffin, Willy Wonka rocket cooktop 2.0, and the truly passive greenhouse. To see more, go to permies.com slash tour. Again, that is permies.com slash tour. So, how about this? Let's try a different tack. <clears throat> yep. What is some of the stuff about this structure that you want to talk about? First of I all, do want to see inside and see how You've seen it. the build. You've seen yeah. the build movie. Yeah. Okay. And I want one someday. <laughs> I have a spot that's partially excavated. I always said I was going to do one. Okay. An Ailer greenhouse, and I never did it. So first of all, I mean, this is beyond Ailer greenhouse, right. I think. But, but, but first of all, um, how did Josiah do? Great. I, this is a pretty daunting project. It is. When I started the video and watched him, how much time it took to just put those pipes in the ground. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, wow. This yeah, is, uh, in hindsight. This is going to be a big project. 
in hindsight, he was saying that what he'd rather do is like just do a hand auger and just dig them by hand. Yeah. Just, dig a, just dig the holes by hand, drop the pipes in the hole. What about a well driller? Did you guys explore that at all? Because as easy as this soil looked, I mean, I couldn't believe how deep he was able to dig without hitting rock. Oh, no, yeah. Too. The lab has these insanely deep soils. Yeah, the other guy I work with, I was showing him videos of that, of the build as I was watching it. He was like, where is all this dirt coming from? Yeah. There's nowhere in Montana that so has dirt like this. We're in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. Right. And uh, they live true to their name. Every mountain you see is a giant ass that that whole mountain is one you can see rock. most of the rock yeah yeah, yeah there is no dirt it. on top of it's it like how is there a tree growing on that rock but uh somehow they've got this dust of dirt in the crack somewhere and they're making a life in that but the story is is that this is alluvial soil so uh way upstream of here um, they did a bunch of poor logging practices, and then all whatever soil there was that the trees are holding onto, they'd all got washed down here to here, and um, and so now there is no creek. The creek is way underground. Does it have something to do with Glacial Lake, Missoula, too, and the deposits? Uh, you know I've what? seen other properties around. We have sand Missoula. and clay and rock. We've got like all your natural building yeah. supplies. In fact, we've got like three different kinds of clay, four different kinds of sand. I mean, it's like uh, it's like for natural builders, this is their paradise. So that's what we have here, and I think the reason why we have that has to do with when Glacial Lake, Lake Missoula moved out. This was, I'm going to guess, an eddy. Yeah. And it dropped stuff off here. Let me uh, drop off. Let me sort this stuff out for you, and uh, put it in different places, like the Home Depot. Of right. natural building. Pretty and, amazing. And, of course, an, a crazy excess of logs. I mean, like, when you go out into forest land, do you see, do you, how often do you see forest this thick? Yeah, it's not, I mean, we have parts of it in western Montana, but perfect for you. Because the spots that need thinned, you got all the fencing material in the world. Oh, the yeah. fence is beautiful. I love that. That is cool. And you know I love the little medieval vibe for that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> so, um, the thing is, is we have way too many trees. And uh, we got to thin them out because basically uh, it's wildfire bait. Yeah, but you had pretty close here not too long ago. Right, about five years ago, Juan threatened us and uh, we did some prescriptive burns here and, uh, you know, kept it at bay. But I even, I, I think even if the wildfire tried to come here, it's so green and lush here. And, and even when the wildfire was a mile away, talking about, talking with his wildfire friends about coming here, then um, I don't think he could have made it because it's just so green and lush, even when the fire was happening. And it's like, yeah, so... All right, we did some prescriptive stuff, but skippy, skippy, skip. Let's go back to, okay, Josiah arrived here at Wheaton Labs with, I think, two to three months of construction experience. Oh, wow. And that's be, all? That'd be conventional. Okay. Then, that's all? No log building experience or? Nothing like no, that. You did a fantastic job. Nothing like that. And then for nine months... We had some events that featured groundwood timber framing. We had, uh, of course, the boot camp, and which featured groundwood timber framing. And so off and on, here and there, he picked some up. Okay. And then we got the idea for this project. And he volunteered to run Point. And, and it's like, well, it's a big project. And he's 
like, I'm ready. And he did. He stuck it out through the whole thing. And um, That young ambition. So I feel like he did a damn good job. He did do a good job. Now, and way to stick with it. This is this some daunting days in this. Let's say he had your level of experience in building this. I would say this structure would be 9 to 11% better than it is now. Yeah. I mean, maybe a the joinery might look a little different, just because I spent more time cutting it. Maybe I have some tricks, but I think I'm getting structurally stronger, I don't think. Yeah, I think I think he nailed yeah. it well. I think he did a fantastic job. I assumed he had more building experience than that. No. no so he's think, mostly Wheaton Labs trained on his... I don't think ability. it's... I'm not even... I, I'm, I'll say yes, and at the same time... From workshops and things. I think most of it is he's just a sharp guy. Yeah. You know? And so we gave him the space to be sharp. Yeah. And uh, so... He thought it through, and and he dotted his I's and crossed his T's and did the math, and um, and then you know some of the some of the beginning stuff you know did come from working here, and uh, you know from experiencing some of our events and some of our builds. I mean, you've seen a bunch of our builds. You haven't even seen all the new stuff since the last time you've been here. No. Yeah. Yeah. So, I'd love to see some. Oh, yeah, we got we got to show you the couch balcony. Before the couch balcony. Oh, is that at the... It's inside the classroom. Camp? Okay. Yeah, I haven't seen any of that. a guy here named Bearpa. I don't know if you ever heard of him. <laughs> oh, maybe I saw a few things. An artisan in Roundwood. He did a lot with rootwood. Cool. Yeah. we got to get you to see yeah, that. All, all right. that stuff. Uh, let's take a look at some joinery work and, some, okay. and anything else that strikes your fancy. I want to hear about what you think is rock solid the way it is and okay. anything you would do different. Okay. Yeah, I mean, my main thing is I think there's just ways to speed it up, and a lot of that's scribing. Put the tape measure away. I mean, when we build a lot of stuff with log building, you find what's square, where you want things, the tape measure goes away. I don't ever see the tape measure again. Okay. Pretty much. Scribes, scribes, scribes. Scribes. And, and, and saddle hold, joints. Tons of saddle joints. Sa tons of saddle joints. And then when you get to the point where you want something, say, for a roof plane, it doesn't even have to be all perfect. We'll set it, get the pitch of whatever we want, figure out what distance we need to come down. You set your scribes to that distance and scribe it down. So you're only cutting that piece once. Now, it can be a little more challenging when you do to it. cut that, but it, once you figure out, once you've done a couple joints, like saddle joints in the top of a post, it's, most of it can happen with a chainsaw and a little bit of finish with the grinding. Okay. Uh, right. We do have some power chisels that we use. Uh, but hmm, we don't have any of those. Yeah, and I was gonna bring it to show you, and then I was like, he will never find one because it's not <laughs> something that exists unless you make one. But I can send you some pictures of it. Right. Essentially, it's um, it's like a demo hammer, like a big uh, electric demo hammer for concrete that we've modified chisels into a coke. So instead of hitting it with a mallet, you've got electric impact behind it, okay. and then you can kind of steer it around. But not something the average person's going to have. So for like this, you would put a saddle here, and you'd leave this log nice and round, and just drop it into the saddle. Potentially, yeah. And so, and then well, you can combine that with some flats and different things, too, and some more mm -hmm. advanced joinery if you need it in that situation. Right. Like, there could be a case where something wants to be wobbly for yeah. whatever reason. Yeah. And uh, But for a lot of this, saddle. But the, and then what you're going to do is you're going to scribe it out. Yep. 
And then you're going to come in with a chainsaw and go chopity, 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 chopity. Yep. And then you're going to take that wood out. A lot of it with the chainsaw. A lot of it's just being good and so, careful with the chainsaw. So you're going chopity, chopity. And then you're going to go chopity between those two chops. Yeah. Like you're going to make And then it brushing it, which I did dust. see Josiah at the end. I saw he was starting to brush things out. That was one of my comments. When I saw it, it was doing a lot of time with the chisel, and I was like, man, you can do that with the chainsaw. And I saw by the end, he had figured it out, and he would sit there and fan it back and forth on his flats. Yeah. yeah and that's yeah. kind of the trick. I mean, when I learned in Canada, the old Canadian saying with those log builders where you should be good enough with that chainsaw and brushing to brush your teeth. That's what they would say. So you should be that accurate. You could brush your teeth. No, it's silly. I don't recommend that. It's silly. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the idea. I mean, you could really get to a tight pencil line. So we scribe everything. I go back with a knife and cut the granite, cut the actual surface with a razor knife. That way, when you get close to it with a chainsaw, it's, it pops off. You can get a very nice, extremely tight-fitting joint. All right. But that's where a little more skill comes in. I can, I can imagine a really yeah. good saddle you know, being nice and tight. Um, <clears throat> doesn't have to be, but it can be. It's kind of like timber frame joinery. It doesn't have to be perfectly tight visually to be strong. But so, um, all right. So we've got the thing where you would do it. You would do a lot of saddles. There'd be a lot more saddles here. Probably, yeah. I think it would be a little faster potentially. Okay. All right. Um, trying to think if there's any other reason really not to. Like I said, the, the issue with water getting in them, that's the only thing. But you have end grain exposed here too where, I mean, you could potentially have water. But it's all covered. It's not, shouldn't see any moisture. So that's really one of the only downsides to it. And if you're worried about them rolling, there's yeah. always the potential for two pins too. I never saw you guys do two pins at all. No. But if you're worried about, you know, something twisting and rolling out of that joint, if you put a pin not in the center, but two on the sides. Now all of a sudden, it, it can't tip out. It's held in place. So that's a possibility. That's true. That's um, true. The other thing I was thinking, the more I looked at it, is I would probably use more all thread in places, potentially. If you're going to go with some sort of steel pin or joint, like sometimes all thread just works. I mean, I'm a traditional joinery guy through and through. That's how... Like, that was my trade. That's what I thought I would do my whole life. I don't get to do that very much anymore because of engineers. But I have become a believer in how well all thread in certain situations really works. Yeah, so I guess that's one. And it's kind of hard to see now because you got all the cob on here. But these portions were all... This is a rebar spike through here, right? Yeah. And then... And you can see it's got a little weep hole right there just in case the water gets in there. It'll let the water out. Okay. Because it's got a little bit of a of a saddle shoulder, right? So that might be another option where the saddle could have actually been cut in the horizontal member there instead, and then it's whole, and then this is still round. So any water that would get in there would flow out. So I kind of feel like putting a saddle into the end of a post makes sense. You're you're not going to lose any strength. No. But when you put a saddle into this, you're cutting into that log. You are weakening Well, it would be into this one. It's going to have to come from somewhere. Uh, I mean, essentially, you flatted it already. See, if I put a real shallow saddle Yeah, they don't have to be huge. Yeah, I could be okay I mean, with the shallow you, saddle. If you get enough bearing, 
Um, you know, it depends on what how much bearing you need. A lot of the ones we've been doing lately has been yeah, very shallow. Okay. And right. you'd be surprised it just what the is the equivalent of taking off three quarters of an inch. How much flat that gives you, and it really doesn't cut that much into the wood. Personally, I've never seen one fail at that point either. Right. But like I said, I'm using a lot of oversized wood because that's what people want. They want it to look big and beefy, and it's probably way bigger than it needs to be. So I don't see yeah. the failure points that you might see if, if you're just picking the logs you have off your homestead, and they might not be giant. But I, also, how wide is this building? It's a very small like span. The, like the inside? Yeah. What are the dimensions? I would imagine it's kind of like a 10... <laughs> 10 by 10? 10 by 10? 10 by 10 on the inside here? I mean, it's, it's, it's a series of experiments. And so it's like, we had so many people encouraging us to build something really giant. And I kind of felt like, you know what? Let's build something small. Yeah. Then do the tests and see, see how we do. Yeah. As opposed to build something giant and then if the tests prove that it's a, it's a dumb idea, it's like, oh, that was a waste. So, but, the key is, is any kind of joinery, do your best to keep it shallow. I've seen people do saddle notches that, that dip oh, yeah. two-thirds of the way into the wood. And <laughs> That's I'm like, the only time I've seen them fail, is rafters that, yeah, they did a two, two-thirds scribe. And then you're past the recurve of the log, too, so you have gaps. There's all kinds of problems with that. That's the only time I've seen them. Yeah. I've seen them held up by the tongue and groove from the rafters next to it is what I've seen, you know, in, in old okay. buildings. So don't do that. Yeah. yeah. There's no reason for that. <laughs> Just don't do that. So if you think it's too much, it's probably too much. You'd be so shocked by how much just a half inch or three quarters of an inch is for a cup. So whatever joinery is done, you agree, keep it shallow. You don't be yeah. digging deep into that wood. The only thing I would say we're not shallow is is the top of the columns. If you're going to do that, yeah, saddle notch because it doesn't crazy. matter. Yeah, don't go crazy. I think an eight by eight like timber post will hold some like sixty thousand pounds, or I, it's it's something so insane. You're, yeah, you're never you're never going to put too much pressure down, and that captures it. But that's a different scenario. Yeah, you're you're fully there. And for spots like this. You're super keen on doing the, the the saddles, but your saddles might only be an inch deep. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. Um, a lot of the stuff we do doesn't have roundwood on top either, so it has a flat on top of whatever it is for tongue and groove. Right. Um, and then that saddle, we're able to adjust one side of that would be deeper than the other. So the butt end of the log, you'll have more off than the tip, and then that way your flat is level. Yeah. When we're doing things with tongue and groove, obviously that's not the situation here, so you don't have to worry about it. But. I would imagine that all thread yeah. through here. Yeah. Yeah. If you're okay with the look, so what we do a lot of times too is our all thread, uh, we countersink it. Yeah. I'll show you the bits that we use. I have a special bit that will make life way easier. If you go to just try and countersink that with a Forstner bit, it will rip every person's <laughs> arm off that's here. I mean, as I, my chest is bruised from one last week that I tried to do the wrong way. If you so have, I have the right bits, and I'll, have, I'll send them to you. If you have little people doing a Forstner bit, they end up spinning around like that. <laughs> I haven't quite seen that bad, but I did see somebody pin the trigger one time and wrap an entire 50-foot extension cord up with one. Wow. Okay. they let go. Okay. So. Okay. And I don't know where they ended up. They went flying somewhere. Um, so the, it, part of that's the correct bit. 
and it's it's worth every penny. They're not that expensive. They're like forty dollars. They go on the end of the auger bits you have. Mm-hmm. It's it's a Forstner bit that through the middle of it is your regular auger bit. So it uses that long auger bit as the pilot, and then okay. you can't bind that. So what we'll do is run those through, and then the nut and the washer are hidden, and you can plug them or right, it, right, right. yeah. We end up plugging them a lot. You know it's there, but it's, it's plugged. Here though, it would have been completely hidden. We put a little bit of joinery in here. We did this little bit mm-hmm. for this angle. And, of course, you get, the angles are going this way because there's weight yeah. pushing this way. So, you know, we we lock in low on that yeah. side and push and hold up high. I prefer that on this side it goes about two-thirds up, and I prefer on that side that it's closer to the ground. But, yeah. um, you know, when I talk to Josiah, when I talk to um, the other people that are running projects, I say, Artisan's choice. Um, I'm going to say so. I'm going to say it one more time, and then you tell me what you would do differently for an angle brace like this. I'm going to say I want that end next to the ground, and I want this end about two thirds up, so about to here. That would be my choice. What would be your? Yeah, choice? I mean, 45 always seems to be pretty good. I wouldn't necessarily depending on what your heights are. Oh, I mean, if you get this deep. angle here, now it's not doing anything. That's pointless. Yeah. So if point. you get past 60 degrees, very good point. You're you're losing out. The only thing I would say here, if you're worried about a lot of pressure, I don't see any actual uh, like flat on flat joint. I see it on the other side. It looks like. So that's what I would do a I lot of times. Flat on flat right well, there's there. flat here. Yeah. But we'll clip you this know. a lot of times uh, and actually put it in. Because right okay. now, all this... Now, if it's an all-thread joint, all that tension's going to go in the all-thread. If it's wood on wood, this whole thing can slide. You would... Yeah. So, you so would I would have a hard joint. Clip the top. That flat goes in deeper, potentially. Okay. If it has a lot of pressure on it. Okay. If not... Um, good point. So the all th- the all thread will take care of a lot of that too if you do that, or or some sort of mechanical hardware will do it. But if it's got big weight, especially some of your long overhangs out the front, I would definitely put clips on the end of those. I can we can draw that out later a little okay. bit. Kind of what I'm talking about. So as far as what I'm saying here, um, I was saying bottom and two thirds of the way up, and you're saying that's too steep of an angle. Like Potentially, it depends the on what you're doing. Two thirds the way up, that sounds fine. You may or may not do a different number, provided yeah. that the angle is less than 45. Uh, somewhere between 45 and 60. Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere in there. Okay. Depends on which way you're measuring your angle from, too. But okay. All right. But definitely down towards the bottom, especially in your case where you've got these kind of like a pole barn style construction where it's way down. You have a ton of strength down there where they're going underground. Yeah. And yeah. where you don't up here, you're kind of floating up here. So definitely down low to up high. So now sure. you're familiar with the Ayler design for a greenhouse. I saw Mike Ayler's actual greenhouse with it, you. Yeah, you were with me. I've actually, yeah. I've, been, I've stood in it. Yeah. And of course. I missed that guy. He was quite the character. <laughs> I had a great Mike night with Ayler Mike Ayler. was a kook. <laughs> he was one of the funnest kooks I've ever been around. Let's just be real clear. A kook. <laughs> I think that I spent the only. Did he ever stay in the Ridgetop house again? I am not sure. I it seems like he had been building that for fourteen years, and the night we were there, we all went up there and stayed in that house. And I don't know if he ever did again. And that was probably one of the wildest times. That Ridgetop house. Oh yeah, phenomenal. 
Uh, no, his architecture yeah. is brilliant. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 it throws all the old models out the window and yeah. starts from scratch. It's, yeah. it's stunning to be in. That ridgetop house. I mean, I, this design is standing on his shoulders. Yeah. You know, it's like. Well, I, and still standing. What he did worked. You've improved yeah. on it. But what he had worked. I mean, I sat, I expected the original house to go in there and have that be half rotting into the ground and musty. And it really wasn't that bad. And nobody had been in there. Right. I've been in houses that, you know, people haven't stayed in in a month and they smell musty. Musty. Mustier than that did. Yeah. I was really impressed with that. Yeah, yeah. That's entirely. Yeah, and the greenhouse. Was, I think I was in the greenhouse. Oh, yeah. We did. We had the yeah. greenhouse and we had all the structures. Yeah. Here is my Ader style trench. Yes. It's a bit larger because I want to harvest more. Yeah. And um, I also think that the uh, the gaps between my wood is larger so I can have a better air exchange. Yeah. Um, I think the gaps are perfect. I just had said maybe it was a little terrifying, but it seems perfect to me. Yeah. I kind yeah. of forgot that I could really? fall at any moment. You kind of see one of the... One of the uh, thermal wells right yes. there, and so I, I just kind of feel like, check your keys, man. Yeah, right. You don't want to drop your keys down that thermal it's a well. Long magnet on the. But the magnet will stick to the well. Mm. How are you going to get the magnet to get down to where your keys are? We'll find out someday. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to have to have something like a cup that goes over the magnet until you get all the way to the bottom. Or an electro. Somebody's going to have to get very creative. Besides, oh, I just think. I just think hold your keys. <laughs> would you do the thermal wells the same way again? I guess you asked what I would, what questions I had. That's the big one. Did you ever think about, since you had the hole dug, did you ever think about cutting holes in them and connecting them below? So you got one pipe oh. here, one here, so you could get more of a flow. When we I looked at it, I wondered about it. welding. But, of course, the thing we're trying to do is something that's truly passive. Right. But if they were connected, could you get that airflow? through the bottom How would it would want to that? move through if you could get it to draw out of one and they, if they were connected oh oh you, so you like the idea so you go they're both down and then there's a pipe with a hole you know on each side welded between I don't know I just was curious where you I, guys went with it that was one thing I wanted to know personally one of the important things is is that the one inch pipe is performing better than the inch and a half pipe is it so if okay. we were to do it over again I would just stick to the one inch pipe I might even Switch that one out and do it three-quarter inch and see if it does any better. Okay. So right. it is moving air. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah, when we... There's tracking thermometers down at the bottom of each well. Mm -hmm. And uh, when we look at it, we can see a bump when the sun is out. Like, the temperature will go up, like, half a degree Okay. when the sun is out. And are those temp probes in the airspace down there or in yeah. the ground? Okay, so they're in the airspace. airspace. So you can see it right there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And then... Um, and then, of course, when it gets really cold in here, you can see them drop because now there's an air exchange. The cold air in here is now exchanging with the warmer air at the bottom From of the well. Water. So it's working. And it's working. Awesome. It's doing its job. Awesome. And so we've proven that much. And it didn't freeze in here last winter. And it's like we hadn't even gotten the whole mass and all of everything up to the, you know, the temp. Right. Although we did start off at, a, like, I think like 60-something for the mass. Okay. So there's a little thermometer right there that goes three feet into the mass. Oh, excellent. And so um, it's got a little probe. And so um, we started off with that in the 60s. And by the time we got to the coldest part of winter, like I think 
I think the coldest the mass ever got was 40-something, and that was in March. Interesting. If you're going to go zero metal, how much longer would this build take for the timber framing portion? I mean, the problem is some places get a little tricky to do no metal, too. Um, I mean, I think you might triple the amount of time of the build. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's pretty... Yeah. So, um... So it's good. So if you're going to do some rebar spikes like we did, mm-hmm. and if you here's a nail uh, up in here, there's some screws. Uh, I mean, it's just some deck screws. But really, gravity, right? The glue of gravity is our number one thing. Oh, here's another fascinating thing. I think that the amount I'm I'm saying the amount of plastics. Glues and gunks and paints and all that stuff that while we have some plastic, but all that stuff added up, we're probably less than 1% of a, of a, of other greenhouse designs. I'm, I'm guessing. Yeah. Would you say, it's, you're saying that's fair. You think that's probably 1%? Less than 1%. I mean, that's glass instead of plastic. Um, yeah, the amount of plastic you have on the outside of this is about as much plastic as everything would have had to ship in for your greenhouse. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not too far off. Uh, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> so I think what I think what you just said is under one percent. Yeah, it was certainly a lot less. Does the number really matter? Does one percent matter? It's definitely um, a lot less. We're trying. Yeah. We're we're trying to find ways. I mean, we're doing a lot with cob. Definitely a lot with wood. Um, you know, we're, we're, our, our fasteners are steel. We're not using any glue in this. The only place there's anything like glue is on the on the greenhouse glass. Um, there's the plastic on the roof, but that's you know that's well, just what else are you gonna do? Yeah, I mean, you well, want to keep water out. Nothing keeps water out better than some of those materials. There are you guys are run away from the tarp or the uh, billboard tarps? We get them. We can. Okay. Uh, we couldn't get them for this project, so we just went with um, polyethylene. Was but that just six mil? Yeah. Still? Okay. Yeah. But it looked like you dug some up from other the other building, right, when you connected the two umbrellas? Right. Because I just wondered how long that six mil black plastic was really lasting. On the My understanding two. is and it looks that good. if light doesn't touch it, it will last 500 years. Long time. Yeah. But the, and then the other thing is, we got a lot of people talking about instead of using the plastic, using um, clay in different forms, in order to be able to make a make a waterproof layer. And I'm kind of curious. But see, that's another experiment. I kind of feel like we had so many experiments going on right. with this project already. Yeah, that clay just—it always seems to crack though at some point. If, if you, you get... keep it wet, yeah, it doesn't. I'd start that experiment small. Yeah, <laughs> but if a crater digs through, yeah. So mm, I don't know. Anyway, here we are. We're, we're we're conducting a lot of experiments. We're trying to keep our plastic low. Um, all right. Have you guys girdled any trees? And tried taking the bark off them that no. way. That was one other thing. We haven't girdled any. No. Have you I thought mean, about it? Because I just watch all the effort going into peeling bark, and I wonder. And this is mostly dug fir, right? So uh, that's a great question. I can tell you that any of the horizontal pieces are definitely dug fir. Okay. Uh, the vertical stuff is going to be a mix of dug fir, ponderosa pine, and western larch. Okay. 
She'd be up in March, too. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but definitely any horizontal piece is done for. Okay. Yeah, the only, I love larch, too. The only thing I've seen, I have seen talk about spiral grain and things. <laughs> I've had some of those larch timbers. Spiral larch. Were the most beautiful timbers I've ever seen and just yeah. corkscrew out of place. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was wondering about girdling and if some of that bark would just fall off. If you had some to do an experiment, so, we, I mean, I haven't been cutting logs off my own property, obviously, but if I bring in a load of dug fir and it sits for a year, if it was cut more in the spring, not winter, the winter the bark would stay, but that bark will just fall off and you don't ever even have to peel it. When we drop, you drop trees around here around the end of April, the beginning of May, the bark usually like 80, 80 to 95% of the time the bark just falls off. Okay. We could just, you know, you get a spot and you yeah. just one long strip of bark and it just, then you're just kind of letting it flop off from there. <laughs> that looked like fun. That was one of my favorite parts. I think that's the handle over there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think this is great. I mean, so in the boot camp, um, I don't know, we're pretty good when people have proven that they've got some skill and, and they want to try something interesting like this, we, we say, get creative, right, have go fun. Go ahead, have fun, yeah, have a good I love time. It. So, yeah, I uh, love Kyle, this supersized uh, mechanism there. Too. Yeah. So Kyle built this where the, the spring is like a little bow because he's done a lot of bow carving. Oh, okay. Yeah, and he's like, oh, make a little bow, go in there, be the yeah. spring, you know. So there's that. And then, of course, there's the um, the rock steps. I think you did a great job on yeah. that as well. Beautiful. But yeah, I love like, the feeling of walking down in here. So it's like, you know, what is the what is it that you want to do? And we, I don't know, we're pretty, I think we're usually pretty good with that when somebody's proven themselves. Yeah. So, sure, sure, do it, go for it. I know one other comment I was thinking, you know, a log building a lot of the time is in, it's all in the corners, in the joints, especially like a stacked log. It doesn't take that much more to make it four feet bigger or whatever. So the kind of there's a kind of an economy of scale there too. So potentially if you want to do a bigger one, this space doesn't necessarily mean that it would take twice as long. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Yeah. Because so, this is probably more than half of the build is in the wing walls. Right. And so, so then if you were like, to double this space, yeah, it wouldn't really be it that would much more time. Be twenty five percent more time or so, yeah. maybe. Yeah. 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 And then these members could be one whole piece too without splices here and then then you're only one one quick notch there you know but on the burn project uh the engineer look at that too the burn project the engineer pointed out that when you're doing this kind of roofing that the smart thing to do is you'll do one stick here and then you'll have for the next cell over a stick will be right next to it going over the next cell rather than like trying to come up with some way to butt them and and have them, yeah, you know, potentially, or just have it one piece, depending on how far it is. Oh no, yeah, yeah. If you got to do like, multiples, yeah, staggering them sometimes. If it's going to be a uh, hundred feet long, right? Then you're not going to get a tree around here, right? Yeah, especially for your building style, and it would look beautiful actually if it was really kind of offset and intentional. Yeah, yeah, intentional. It would look, yeah, really good. So we did try to avoid in the, in our berm shed, which is 100 feet long. Mm -hmm. We tried to avoid the butt joints, because um, if you get two butts over a post, it's like okay, if you're gonna spike them both in, 
the amount of wood that's hanging on on the spike yeah. is not very much. And then, plus, you're kind of a little close to the sides on the wood you're spiking into. And, and it's, it's like, still not very strong, unless you have so some sort of strapping over the top. I mean, any structure that we do that's engineered, there's going to be some sort of metal strap, period. They hate those butt joints in, in, in reality, because oh. they've seen them fail. That's yeah, yeah. where they've made so many insurance claims. Yeah, yeah. But they're so, like, even in our traditional drone, they're so like, not, no, you're strapping something. So, so we're, we are avoiding... In fact, when you look at where we have a corner there, we have a design that we call the triple post. Yeah, I was going to look at that corner, too. So now we've got three posts. Right. And then each stick that comes to that joint has its own dedicated post yeah. to sit on. Mm-hmm. So when the spike goes through, it's hitting the middle of the post. Yeah. And it's got a lot of meat on that log on I the top. I think that's smart for the way you guys are doing that. Anything else you want to comment on? I see the joints in the back definitely different than, what do you guys call it? Alton Abbey? Alton Abbey. Alton Abbey. Yeah. Because that one, it looks like we had the columns come up and then they crash into it, right? For that joint on this outside. I think that column came all the way up. We can poke our head back in there, but I think this is way, way better than what that was. Because I walked in there and I was like, oh, I never do it that way. Yeah. Which somehow that must have come up. Who was, it? was that Skufka, right? Through that? Tim, so, Tim was doing, uh, he was man, helping that guy. Man, is that guy an artist. I wanted to pencil draw some of my projects. That was a beautiful drawing. Everything he, he does is, you know, that by is, hand. Yeah, a skill I wish I had. Amazing. Um, so so Tim, was in, Tim was involved, and of course Tim was involved, my brother. And, um, Okay. And Something. and of course, you know, I think most construction foremen have a constant need to stab the architect. I'm sure you've observed this. Yes. <laughs> I try to keep it only when it's deserved. I've uh, thrown some words before. Only so, when they are very deserved. So but. there's there's a bit of that. Um, I, I was surprised to go into Alarth Abbey and see that it's a split level kind of a thing. But that's Tim Skucka. He loves the split level. I love stuff. the gable out of the back of that. The, the, the split level is kind of cool. I think mm-hmm. the gable on that's too steep. I think it should be yeah. more like this. Yeah. But, all right. Any other comments about any of our joinery? No, it would mainly be those bearings and just other ways. I mean, if you wanted to do wood joinery, it is it is complicated. Not necessarily all worth it. I mean, even, you know, two, three hundred years. As soon as they had steel, they were using some steel for some stuff. As as hardcore of a full traditional guy as I was, the more I go back and research things in history, when they had steel available, they loved it because it was strong. And it worked in certain situations, and it was fast. I'm I'm trying to think of, like, okay, so when it comes to architecture, Mike Ayler went in a completely different direction, but using a lot of these materials. Yeah. And so I kind of wonder with roundwood timber framing, maybe there's some new direction that, you know, we've got new tools, we've got some new materials, we can do the spikes. Yeah. There's stuff we can do. I wonder if there's a world of roundwood timber framing that's amazing that hasn't been discovered yet. Yeah. Next steps. Keep saying it's the best time to be alive because we got the old tools, hand saws, chisels, and lasers that we can set <laughs> everything level with. And it's pretty cool. Yeah. 
We did laser leveling a lot here. We actually do a lot of laser scribing on things now, too, for cutting ends and things. We'll yeah. snap a lot of stuff out on the floor, set things above, and we run the laser up and just trace the lines for joinery. We do a lot of laser scribing. You know. Josiah, you did a great job. You did a great job, Josiah. <laughs> looks amazing. This is quite the daunting project for somebody to, to start way to stick it through. That's uh, very well done. Put Paul's brain on your plot. Do you have a hunk of land but don't know where to start? Do you have a world-changing permaculture idea and you need some feedback? Do you feel like the guy in overalls may inexplicably hold the keys to all your wildest permaculture and homesteading dreams? Well, you're probably wrong. But if you want to give it a go anyway, you can hire Paul for a consultation. He will be all yours for a whole entire hour. Schedule your Paul-versation today at permies.com slash consult. permies.com slash consult. 